we are back. They haven't shut us down yet, and our army of listeners are wanting more. To our new listeners, last episode we introduced ourselves to the world in part one of a six-part series, breaking down the MLB draft. We scouted each pick from the AL East with personal favorites such as Beckway, Kobe Mayo, Nick Bitsko, and Anthony Servideo. Today, we're moving our focus to the senior circuit, giving you all the analysis you could ever want on your newest members of the NL East. I'm your host, John Giles, and we are Prospects Worldwide. So I've got the owner and creator of Prospects Worldwide with me today, the Sultan of Scout himself, Jake Tillinghast. Jake, how's it going? Not too bad. How are you yourself? Eh, can't complain. Another day in paradise. <laughs> we are joined once again by Zach Silverman of the Dugout Edge and Chris Clegg of Rota Fanatic. But both of them have vastly more important jobs as writers and contributors right here at Prospects Worldwide. Guys, thanks for coming in. Thanks Thank for, having for having me. Well, as you know, we've got the NL East today. And I'll be honest, as I was researching these players to prepare... I liked almost all of them. There's so much upside, so much potential. And even the quote last round guys are still incredibly talented. And I'm realizing that I need people like yourselves to bring me back down to earth. Not everyone in the draft is going to hit 35 home runs and get a sub 3-2 ERA. But I just keep envisioning it over and over with these guys. Well, that's the point of the draft, isn't it? It's, it's, this, is time, this is the time to dream. It's, you, we got to be realistic, but it's the time to dream. Sure. I think it, is it a product of it just being a five-round draft where everyone has this potential? I mean, a little bit, maybe. Like, everyone's kind of more the bigger microscope, I would say. So you're kind of more digging into every single pick. The draft's kind of a little more filed in. You're not really looking in 40 picks. So it's kind of bigger winner or losers, more or less. But a lot of the names kind of drafted, everyone kind of knows. There's not really any 30, 40 round guys that anyone's kind of like, all right, I got to go kind of go look this guy up for the most part. Everyone there's no wasting a pick no wasting a pick on johnny manzel in the 37th round i mean there's not i wouldn't say wasting picks but strategically wasting picks maybe is definitely a factor but we'll probably get into touch a few of those guys in this draft in this uh division here sure so actually jake good call let's go ahead and start the analysis top of the draft uh third pick miami marlins there for the weeks leading up to the draft there was all talk of asa lacy to a point i, I thought it was a lot we knew it would be pitcher heavy for them. They even admitted it prior to the draft. But not only did they go six for six with pitchers, they started with a surprise, snagging Minnesota right-hander Max Meyer. I mean, he's a fantastic player, but why not Asa Lacy? Lacy looks the part and, and has all the tools. Jake, what sold the Marlins here? Honestly, I thought it was going to be Lacy too, all the way leading up to the draft. Like you said, there were everything, all the connections were there. But last minute, I don't know, maybe this was their plan all along. But from just a strict talent standpoint, I mean, Meyer's got is just as much talent as Lacey does. The only question really is if he can stick as a starting pitcher, but um, I'll get a little bit of that a little bit later. But oh uh, yeah, his fastball slider combo is legitimately plus plus stuff. I mean, literally probably the best combo in the draft, I would say. And the changeup's not as far off as I don't think as people think. It's definitely not like anywhere near close to those two, but it's definitely coming. The fastball works in like about 94, 97, 24 or 2,500 RPM, which would have been about seventh in the big leagues last year. He touched 100, plays up really well in the zone with that high spin rate, and he's actually been able to maintain his velocity pretty pretty deep in the starts, um, something that a lot of people don't really expect with him with his size. Um, his sliders, just his best pitch. It's probably the best pitch in the entire draft. 88, 91, 27, 56 on the RPM, which would have been sixth in the league. Kind of put into perspective, puts him pretty much on the same pace as Garrett Cole. Not saying he's Garrett Cole by any means, but those spin rates are on point with Garrett Cole's and actually slightly better. The changeup is not as good as the other two, not generating as high swing and miss pitches, 
but still getting about 11, 11% on the swing and miss. Not as great, like I said, but I think it has a chance to get that 55 grade. Falls in love with this slider a lot, throwing it 64% of the time with uh, two strikes, something that probably is going to come back to bite him a little bit down the road, um, just in case of more advanced hitting. Sure. I think he can definitely last as a starter, but kind of going in late, late 20s, I have some concern just with his frame and all, but and the slider usage come, could come back to bite him, but yeah. Yeah, personally, I'm sold on this guy as a, sli- as a starting pitcher. Um, the fat, As you said, we got the mid-90s fastball, that's, he's, and he hit. I think he hit like 98 in the ninth inning on one of his starts. I mean, he might only be six feet tall, but he's extremely athletic. He's got a lot of strength into a smaller frame. Um, he's, he's touched a hundred, but that fastball, he maintains the velocity. The slider's up to 93 uh, with serious, serious movement. I think you, you could tell, you could throw, you could tell the hitter it's coming and throw a 93 mile an hour, one of his 93 mile an hour sliders down the middle. And you, you, you can't hit it. It's, it's a legitimate 70, 75 grade pitch. Uh, the changeup, as as Jake said, it's it's solid. Um, it, it's people kind of forget about it because he's got the two plus plus pitches, but it, the changeup is a real weapon as well, and it's going to continue to get refined, as you said, probably up to a fifty five, and with three pitches. And I think the only reason people say he's not going to stick as a starter is the frame, and and it's he's smaller, but he's he's extremely athletic. He repeats his delivery extremely well. He's extremely competitive. I know I see no reason he'll that he'll move off of starting. Yeah, about to say, if you, if you get a guy third overall, he needs to be a starter. Yeah, you can't waste that pick there expecting him to go to the bullpen. And so, again, I was this draft was full of surprises, and this was another one of those surprising picks that uh, Miami passed there and, and went uh, with Meyer over Lacey. I, I think that Lacey's the supreme prospect there, but Meyer's got a lot to like. Y'all hit about every point. I can think of, but again, the fastball slider combo, both those pitches could be 70 grade. Those are both deadly pitches. And if he refines that change up and can develop that into at least an above average, average to above average offering, I don't see any reason that he can't stick in that rotation. So I like it a lot. Again, I probably would have taken Lacey, but Marlins probably know better than I do. So good pick there with Meyer. Only time will tell. I also think out of everybody in this draft, Max Meyer can probably pitch in the big leagues today. And if we are to, if we were to have a season, Max Meyer could pitch this year. I mean, th- those are two major league pitches he could throw in the bullpen. He, and he's got the command too. It's, he's got above, he's above average strike thrower. He, I mean, you're going to send him back down to work as a work as a starter and work for the minor leagues. But since there's no minor league season this year, throw him in the bullpen and he could succeed right now. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I definitely think it could be up. Not sure if the Marlins will kind of push that just with their situation and all, but I agree. If a team drafted him that needed it, 100% could kind of come up right away. So they follow up drafting Meyer with what's likely the best prep lefty in the draft, Dax Fulton. He's a potential top-end prospect, but I think he fell because of a recent Tommy John surgery. He's got a man's frame, and he looks the part. Does he have the stuff, Chris? He definitely does. He's a big frame, like you said, six foot six lefty. Underwent Tommy John in September, um, which probably caused him to drop. But now, looking like he won't miss much time um, due to the shortened season and probably no minor league season this year. So he's not going to really miss any development time, which is nice. And so if he was fully healthy, I think that he goes in the first round. He's got a great fastball, uh, low 90s right now, but tops it at 93. That's uh, about a 55 grade, I think. Curveball's probably his best pitch. A lot of lot to like there on that pitch. And uh, he's got that projectable frame, which I like. And so the velocity should improve because he'll grow into that frame. He'll gain strength. His pitches tunnel very well. 
got a nice change up and a very, very high ceiling. He was also a good hitter in high school, and which shows he's a good athlete all around. And so his pitches should continue to develop because of that. I like Fulton a lot, and I think that they did a great job with this pick here. Again, first-round talent in my brain. Yeah, I agree. I, I like Fulton a lot. And the Marlins are piling in some good arms. Um, without the without the Tommy John, if he would have pitched this year, I definitely would have thought he would have been out of the range at about 20, 30 range off the board. But obviously, he didn't have the, the health, so he dropped. And like you said, I definitely think that uh, Curveball's his best pitch. He gets it in on Ryan Hander's hands really well with like really good late break. His fastball was registered at 2,600 RPM at the area code games before his injury, which is very, very impressive for a uh, high school kid. Uh, his mechanics are pretty strong too for a uh, pretty big lefty, six foot six. Pretty repeatable though, and his, re- his release point is pretty consistent. Gives me a lot of like remembrance of Andrew Heaney on the Angels, just from his wide kind of open uh, arm when he gives that drive to the plate. Um, he has a nice curveball as well, a high spin fastball. So I like the comp there. And that curve has some of the best depth probably in the entire class. It's a real. I mean, it's got two plane break on it, it cuts across the plate a little bit, but it's it's got real top to bottom depth. Yeah, that kind of shoulders to knees kind of big tumbling curveball and it, it's a it's a plus pitch and it's one of the better breaking balls in the prep class as i mentioned though marlins did go straight pitching all college picks from here on out the next one was an intriguing athletic righty out of ball state kyle nicholas uh, i can't figure out if he's a starter or not he's got velocity and stuff but it doesn't seem like it's the cleanest delivery maybe some control issues zach give me the goods on nicholas so if you asked me about a year ago whether Nicholas was a starter or a reliever, I'd say probably a reliever. Uh, he, he's always had a power arm uh, registering like upper 90s fastballs, but he, he's been pretty erratic. Ball State got a new pitching coach, and it really helped kind of clean him up. And he came out this spring, and in the fall end this spring, he came out a, a lot more polished. He, he wasn't just throwing those upper 90s fastballs, but he, he was his breaking balls looked sharper. He was throwing a lot more strikes. And he overall just looked a lot more like a complete pitcher. I mean, there's still a lot longer to go, but this the end is more in sight with him. Um, they're still relatively inconsistent, but both his, fa- his uh, curveball and his slider flash plus at times versus previously they were flashing above average. Uh, that fastball is still touching 100, sitting in the mid-90s. The command is still probably a little bit below average, but we're not talking 35 grades anymore. We're talking 45 and trending up fast. It's okay. a really exciting arm. Uh, he's really projectable at 6'4". Um, I don't know how much more velocity you can add from where you already are, but it's a really it's a really exciting arm trending in the right direction, and the, the Marlins are going to keep pushing him in that way. Yeah, his last start really put him on the map to kind of lock him in in the early uh, in the early rounds. He had a 17K one hit performance against Sacred Heart. Probably not the biggest competition, but regardless, a 17K performance is going to turn some heads. Um, like you sure. said, the fastball is really nice. I definitely think he has a chance to get a starter. Like you said, some inconsistencies in his re- delivery and repeating his arm slot. But if he can kind of refine those, he has a chance to stick to the starter. If not, he has definitely some lights out stuff to pitch in a bullpen and make a make a career out of there. Well, the next pitcher up for the fish is Zach McCambly. I, pr- I see a two-pitch guy. He's got a high-end fastball and a breaking ball, middling changeup. He's undersized. This picture looks a little bit like Max Meyer. They're number three overall. Why is Meyer so high, but McCambly so low? It's the basic similar profile. Zach, what, what, what do you got here? I think it's a basic similar profile if you stop right there at what you described. Um, I mean, not to, <laughs> not to dunk on McCambly at all, but I mean, so Meyer's up to 100. He Meyer hit 98 in the ninth inning of one of his starts. 
93 mile an hour slider. I mean, Meyer is a guy who is going, he's a lot better of a strike thrower as well. Um, McCambly has shakier commands than Meyer. I think everything with Meyer is just a, a step up and that's not nothing against McCambly. It's just that Max Meyer is one of the best amateur pitchers on earth. Zach McCambly, he's a kid out of Coastal Carolina. He's got a low to mid-90s fastball. He's been up to 96, but his bread and butter is his curveball. It's a real power, two-plane breaking ball with late break. It's kind of got everything you're looking for in a breaking ball. Um, really, really tough to square up. Just just shoots downward right at the last second with great depth. Um, it's, a, it's a true swing and miss pitch. And between those two pitches, he's got what he needs to be successful in pro ball. Now, the question is around the strike throwing. Sometimes he struggles to hit his spots with his fastball, and then that curveball sometimes has so much movement that he can't really spot it as well as he'd like to. Um, there's not much of a change up to this point. So for now, he is a two-pitch guy, and that brings a lot of relief questions that I don't think you see with Meyer, considering Meyer's changeup is more advanced, his strike throwing is better. But it's a really the two pitches are a really exciting place to start. And if you can give out that changeup, and his, his strike throwing was looking a little better in 2020. I mean, it's still below average, but it wasn't as he wasn't as erratic as he has been in the past. I think the Marlins are hoping they can iron out those last kind of rough edges and push him to be a legitimate impact starter. But if he if he ends up in the bullpen, that that fastball curveball combination will absolutely play. I mean, that that sure. curve is it's gotten grades as high as 70. Yeah, you were telling me about some video you were watching of him that was just lights out. Oh yeah, I mean it's the pitch it. You just got to watch it. I just, just look it up. Yeah, describing a video on the podcast isn't the best idea? <laughs> no, no, it's not. Just just look up this pitch. It's a two-plane breaker. It's a power curveball. It's got velocity. It's got depth. It's got shape. It, it's just a great pitch. Okay. Well, like a broken record, the Marlins keep picking up pitchers. And the next one's my personal favorite, Jake Eater. He's my favorite because his coach at Vanderbilt, Tim Corbin, came on MLB Network during the draft, and he said, you can compare his physical tools and his, and his skill set to that of the tools and skill set of Asa Lacey. And that made me chuckle because Lacey could have gone 1-1 and Eater wouldn't have. Is Eater going to be some just inconsistent 4A guy or is Corbin on to something? There's a lot of talent here, but that's probably a stretch to compare him to Lacey. That's a lofty comparison there. But again, lefty, a big six foot four frame. Um, he's got a good fastball. It's a plus pitch. Tops out around 97. And he's got a slider slash curve. They blend pretty well. I'm not sure exactly what I would classify that as. Maybe more of a curveball, but that's a plus pitch also. Um, he needs to do a little work on his changeup. He put up good, but not great numbers at Vanderbilt. But again, Vanderbilt being in the SEC, that's playing some of the best competition um, in college baseball. So, respectable numbers there and he also dominated the cape league last summer which is again another positive step so there is stuff to like uh, but i'm not sure i would classify him in the same league there as lacy so lofty comparison there corbin but good try way to love your players i'm gonna say this i think on jake eater's best days you can compare the two. Uh, on his best days, Jake Eater is up into the mid-90s consistently with his fastball, and the curveball is a true plus pitch. And he, and on those best days, he can be a strike a good strike thrower. But the problem with Eater is that everything is inconsistent. And I mean everything. The velocity is inconsistent. He can be up to 96 one day and sit around 90-91 the next. Uh, sometimes the curveball, he can lose feel for it. He can hang it, and it becomes a 45 pitch rather than a 60 pitch. 
and the command comes and goes with the weather. He's a very inconsistent pitcher, but on those best days, I think you can actually compare him to the top lefty in the class. The pro- one, one concern I have with Eater is he was a really well-known high school pitcher down in Florida. Um, he could have actually been a day one draftee if he was signable. But he headed, and he was a raw pitcher at that time and needed to be cleaned up. He headed to Vanderbilt to get cleaned up, and it kind of worries me that he hasn't really been cleaned up. Even at Vanderbilt, the pitching mecca hasn't really been able to get him consistent with this stuff, and, and that just worries me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Understandable. Finishing off the draft, the Marlins obviously picked another pitcher, like I said. This time, big righty from USC, Kyle Hurt. This is one where it was a little different. The Marlins have been picking up pitchers that are like two-pitch, three-pitch guys. This guy has a big arsenal of pitches, but no results. He's got a five ERA and only one and a half strikeout per walk. Zach, is this a case that you need to lose a few pitches and focus on the best two to fall into like a bullpen role? Hurt is an interesting case study. He's another guy who was well-known coming out of high school down in San Diego. And he was draft eligible as a sophomore. Um, at USC, didn't sign. So now he's already 22 years old. He's a little older. That four-pitch mix, it's, it's day one stuff that I think could stick in a rotation. But the problem with him has been there, there have been some makeup questions present. Uh, I'm not going to – I'm not here to rag on him. I never met the guy. I'm not personally going to go and rag on his work ethic. But those questions have been around. And it it makes sense given the talent. His fastball is up to 97. It sits in the low to mid-90s. Uh, both of his breaking fla- breaking balls can flash above average, and that's not even his best pitch, which is a changeup, which he uses to get his strikeouts. It's it it's just an interesting kind of conundrum here, where you got a guy who's consistently pitching below his stuff. His command has been about mm-hmm. uh, below average. A lot of scouts have chalked that up to work ethic questions, and they just don't think he kind of has the drive to turn himself into a legit pitcher. But the Marlins are hoping they can turn that around, and the Marlins obviously feel comfortable with the work ethic and helping him turn that plus stuff into results. Sure. And picking six guys, you can only get five guys in a rotation. So they expect some of these guys to fall bullpen. Yeah, absolutely. I think he can still definitely stick as a starter. Like you said, he's got a four pitch mix. Um, that fat led by the fastball change up hard slider, slower curve. He, he has a nice frame. He should be able to add a bit of strength to it. He's already kind of well built, but I definitely see a little bit of uptick in velocity possibly in his future, but he's already touching 97. I think kind of sit nice there near 95. Um, he's got a bit of arm side run. The slider is 86 to 88. Flashes about in 55 grade at, at his best days. Probably going to settle around a 45, 50 pitch. Bit of a wild card. Doesn't have great numbers at USC. But he definitely has a feel for pitching. As a fifth round pick, I like it. Like like uh, Zach touched on. He's got, he's got a first round arm. Just hasn't really proven it yet. So I like it. Well, let's go ahead. Let's move on to the Phillies. They've had to have been ecstatic here. They get the big name prep pitcher who's gotten comps everywhere from Steven Strasburg to Justin Verlander. They take Mick Abel, 12 overall. Give me your thoughts, Chris. Yes, this is the best prep pitching prospect in the class, in my opinion. And this is a deep, uh, pretty stacked group of prep pitchers that went, especially on day one. But he's the best, in my opinion. He's got ace upside. Like you said, Verlander comps have been thrown in there. Um, some comps that people won't like, but Rick Porcello, thanks to the nice sinker that compares to Porcello's. Um, he's got a nice four-seamer that reaches 97. The slider is probably his best swing and miss pitch of his secondary stuff. And the changeup has flashed plus potential. Also, the curveball could be uh, above average pitch. So he's got pretty pretty well-rounded four-pitch mix to be a prep kid. And so with some refining and some work, he has a lot to like, and I know the Phillies have to be ecstatic to 
have gotten him where they did. Um, I really thought that he was heading to the Red Sox. Everything that I had understood was that the Red Sox had already had a deal signed and the Phillies just um, snagged him out underneath. And so we know what happened there, but this kid's fantastic pitcher. And so very effective pitch mix. And again, top of the rotation stuff. I like him a lot. And so the Phillies got themselves a great future starting pitcher here. Well, let me ask you here. Is he falling to 15 because it's such a short draft? It's only five rounds. People, the teams aren't able to make that big risk and take him up high fourth or fifth round pick or, or fourth or fifth overall pick. Yeah, I think that I could see we saw a lot of the college uh, players go earlier. Just there could have been signability issues. We knew that Abel was going to be one of those guys that was was going to go pro pretty much regardless unless something crazy happened. But I do think uh, just to, in general in this draft with it being shortened and with some financial concerns that a lot of the prep players were devalued and dropped. And Abel was just probably one of the examples of that because I do think mm-hmm. we saw it all across the board where college players got a big boost in draft value. Yeah, I agree. There is definitely a lot more college guys. The draft's been kind of heading that way, especially this year with any signability issue, any high school guy that was top of the draft, they kind of just slid. And once you got to the third, fourth round, teams wanted to lock in guys that they could either underslot or they were looking to overslot at that point. So there's no real point to offer any crazy money out there. But yeah, on to Abel, I mean, he's a great pitcher. Like you touched on, he's he's awesome. He's one of those Rapsodo darlings. He's posing his stuff all the time. Rapsodo on draft night posted his, uh, one of his sessions. They worked with him over, over the last few weeks for the draft, and he was touching 99, and he had 2660 RPM, which, just to put in perspective, the MLB average is 2250, and Garrett Cole, the best pitcher in the league right now, is 2530 RPM. So he's definitely got it in him, and I definitely think there's more velocity on the way with his frame. He's definitely got more uh, more strength to put on it. The slider is his best pitch or second best pitch. It's definitely got a wipeout potential, and the the, uh, the changeup is definitely flash flashes about a 55, 60 grade. But as of right now, it's definitely about a 40, 45. He got some good potential with his arms uh, with his arm angle and arm slot. Yeah, I think you guys have done a great job talking about just how fantastic a pitcher Nick Abel is. So I just want to leave you with this. You typically, when you're talking high school pitchers, you talk. There's typically three types. There's the super projectable ones. There's the really polished ones. And then there's the ones who have their now stuff. Nick Abel is what you get when you have a polished kid with now stuff and a ton of projection remaining. I mean, he's kind of got the whole nine yards as a pitcher. That's, I think the Phillies are going to be happy with that. They should be. They're happy with Abel. If you look down the board a little bit, they didn't have a second round pick because they signed Zach Wheeler. I think that was the, the, the loss there. And then in the third round, they pick up Casey Martin, the first non-pitcher that we're talking about today, shortstop out of Arkansas. He's a speed demon with incredible tools, but I noticed his batting average started to drop. It went from 355 his freshman season down to 271 already. And don't get me wrong, 271 is no slouch, but much rather have my guy hit 350. Jake, is he going to be able to get back to that bat? I definitely have concerns on the hit tool. The power's pretty legitimate. He's, I mean, more or less, he's looking to hit for power. I think there's definitely have to have to be a swing change if he wants to tap into any type of type of hit tool. He's had a 27% K rate at his career in Arkansas, so that's definitely not what you're looking for. So that's probably a good reason why he's slipped and everyone was kind of expecting to go high in the high in the draft. But there's just a lot of swing and miss, a lot of question marks with his swing. But he's got a lot of tools. He's, he's a fun player. He's got really, really good speed, 70 grade. Uh, the power, I was a 50. He's got a lot of pull side, but flashes enough strength to kind of reach the center field seats on a regular regular basis. He makes a decent amount of errors at shortstop, 
personally, I kind of have a hard time seeing him stick there and kind of has a better fit at second base as more of an offensive profile, um, especially with it now the day and age with everyone having a, just a top tier shortstop with an offensive edge. He's probably going to have to more look at the second base edge, but um, second base side. But he's got the necessary tools, I think, to also sit in, fit in the outfield, center field. He's got the speed, got a decent arm. Uh, he's got a really good range, good good first step. So I wouldn't be surprised to kind of see him move out there at all. Like I said, the raw power is pretty legit. I would I probably put his raw power at about a 65. But I just don't have really much uh, faith in him kind of tapping into it consistently just due to the fact he's not going to make a lot of contact. But he'll hit some homers, but the average is going to struggle. Yeah, I think the key with Casey Martin is right here you've got like a super, super talented kid who plays the game really fast. And he plays the game really fast because his entire life he's been so talented he's been able to do that. And so the key for the Phillies, I think, is just going to be reeling him in a little bit, calming him down, because the physical tools are absolutely there. He's, he's a little bit of a smaller guy. He's only 5'11", but we've got real power here. I graded as a 55. I think he has above average pop. He packs a lot of strength into that smaller frame. He can really he can really put a drive into the ball. A ton of speed. He's he's got like 65, 70 speed and that great range, great arm too as well at shortstop. I think if you just calm him down a little bit, get him to get a little more refined, get a little more trusting his abilities instead of just playing the game at full speed all the time. I think you could have a star on your hands, but he he also he struck out 71 times in 2019. That's that's too many. So there's, there's a lot of risk here, especially because this is a college player, but mm-hmm. um, it, it's tough to find a better package of tools, uh, especially this late in the draft. Sure. Well, uh, next up is a guy that I'm particularly inter- interested in. I want to follow his career arc. Carson Ragsdale, 6'8 tower out of USF. One particular stat that just stuck with me, he was a reliever his first two years and became a starter. I think it was his third or fourth start of his junior year. He played Florida, the number one team in the nation at the time. He only lasted four innings, but he struck out 10 Gators in that four innings. That's insane. Is this a just a gym, Jake, or, or is this just a blip on the radar? It's really exciting and more interesting, I would say, than exciting, actually. But like you said, he's a big presence. He's six foot eight. Uh, he missed 2019 due to Tommy John. He's actually, for being six foot eight, a very, very easy, clean, and repeatable delivery. So I'm pretty shocked to see that out of someone with his size. But And just to kind of touch on, probably not going to see him, but just fun fact. He has a lot of raw power there. Probably not going to see him hit, but it's fun to watch him swing the bat. On to the pitching. Total in 2020, like you said, he became a starter. Four starts. He had 19 innings, 37 Ks, seven walks. Showing a bit of improvement from his 2017 when he was in the pen. Still not having great command of his pitches. More or less just focusing more on, on, the, on the control edge of him. Uh, his stock really increased, like you said, when he had that start against the Gators. I mean, how can it not? One of the best teams in the country, and you go out there more or less just shove it down their throats and he didn't have a bad pitch count either i think he was only in about the 60 high 60 pitch range and he was uh he was given some starts which is in the 70 80 range as well so he definitely has his in him to kind of live through the starts and all but definitely definitely some question marks the fastball is around 91 95 not crazy overpowering but it gets on you quick with that reach the curveball is more of a 12 6 pitch definitely a big strikeout pitch and he tunnels them really well something zach likes to touch on a lot he tunnels them really really well and the change-ups not showing a ton of potential but it could reach relatively decent rates as being a third pitch, but I definitely see him as a, as a uh, bullpen arm. But I see a lot of Dylan Batanzas in him. I don't think he's actually going to be that good, but just the size and the hmm. kind of one-two punch with a fastball curveball. It's a little bit different curveball, but yeah, he's, he's a big guy. He's fun to watch. I like that comp. So the Phillies use their last pick on Baron Ratcliffe, and the scouts say the power plays, but his college stats, you, I looked at it over a course of 162 games. 
And that's only like 25 to 30 home runs when he hit in college. So, so Jake, is that enough upside to stick when you only have like a two, what was it, a 236 batting average in a league where everyone hits 25 to 30 home runs? Yeah, I mean, like you said, the batting average is definitely going to never really be a part of his game. He's going to always struggle. He's looking to hit the ball out of the park, but the raw power is legitimate. And he's shown some a really big ability to hit some long homers. He's been registered at about... I've I've seen a multiple over three or four homers over the 450 foot mark and over 110 mile per hour in exit velocity. So he's definitely got power in him. Like you said, ton of swing and miss. But I could definitely see the the uh, the power touching about 65, 70 in game if he can somehow figure a way to touch, uh, get get some more consistent contact. Not too sure that's going to happen. So he's probably going to just settle in, like you said, just about a little above league average. He's striking out 34 percent of the time Ooh. with just consistent swing and miss he has some first base background at a georgia tech so we could see some time there probably going to see in the outfield and he's pretty athletic he was a college uh, high school quarterback so he's pretty athletic kid he's got some speed to him probably not going to steal a ton of bases but he's definitely a high upside pick and in the last round i don't hate it i definitely like it he's loud tools and it just kind of caps off a really polarizing and more or less high upside and really low floor draft for the phillies with the exception of able sure yeah that's it it's high upside yeah, I think you're talking about a really big dude here. He's listed about 6'4", 240 with that massive power that Jake talked at length on. There, I think there's a little bit of hope for him in terms of making consistent contact. There's a little bit of bat wrap in his swing, which makes it a little bit longer than it needs to be. If, if the Phillies can iron that out and get him a little more direct to the ball, I think he could start tapping that power against professional pitching, and it'll absolutely play with Wood because he can hit the ball a mile. But of course, even if you even if you iron out that bat wrap and get him more directly to the ball, there's there's still questions terms of the pitch recognition and the pitch selection and the overall just ability to execute but this is a high upside pick for sure so so i want to keep it moving and and shift our focus over to the new york mets the next team on our board there uh, i actually really like this draft they start the whole thing off with a, a guy who's super toolsy and athletic Pete crow armstrong i don't see him as a super all-star talent but you mix the glove and center with the speed, his line drive hitting, and you got yourself a fan favorite at least, right? Am I too low on PCA, or is he going to be elite? He's definitely going to be elite on the uh, defensive side of the ball. I'm really high on him. I have some, not any personal connections with him, but I've seen him play a few times being down here in SoCal. So I really like the the Mets draft. I might be a little biased considering I've seen a few of them, but you guys might be able to hone me in a little bit. But I definitely see some potential with uh, Pete Crow in the hitting category as well. Like I said, he's definitely going to be an all-star caliber gold glove defender. The bat I think can come around. He's definitely got a really, really level swinger now. Hasn't really tapped into any type of power yet. He's definitely starting the show. There were some rumblings before. I, I wasn't seeing any, any type of this when I, when I saw him, but there were some scouts saying that he was starting to show some uh, ability to turn on some balls and kind of show some game power a little bit. But like I said, I haven't seen it. So until I kind of see that, Still have some question marks there, but I think the the hit tool can kind of get to about a 55 future. But as of right now, I see the power at about a 35. And especially going to the wood bats now, just not being able to really show any consistent ability to pull on balls with authority. I have question marks, but the bat's going to play with about an average hit tool and great defense out there. So I like to pick a lot. Jake, I know you're big on player comps. Do you have someone on him? I think if I had to just straight throw someone out there, I think he's not going to be as great as a defender as this guy, but... I would say Kevin Kiermeyer's pretty pretty similar comp. Not the best hitter, not the greatest power. Definitely run into a few, but like I said, I don't think he's going to have that 80 grade defense that Kiermeyer has shown. But like I said, 70 grade. So I would say that's a pretty decent comparison. Okay. And Jake, I know you said you want someone to hone you in, but I'm not going to hone you in at all on <laughs> Crow Armstrong. I love this pick. Uh, I love Pete Crow Armstrong as a player. I think he's going to be really good. I'm, I think on both sides of the ball. 
One thing that really, I really like about his defense, he's not an elite speed guy. I mean, he does have that plus speed, but he gets to this great defense because he's got such elite feel for defense out in, out in the outfield. He has great first uh, first step, takes good routes. It, it's just an overall high baseball IQ guy. I think on the offensive side, it's a really smooth swing from the left side. And he was actually reportedly hitting for, as you said, more power this spring. And I think since he's starting to tap the power, and I see it in his frame, I see him growing into some. And I see it in the frame seat in the swing. I see it in his ability to find the barrel consistently. If he continues to grow into power like he started to this spring, is I think you're talking about a, like a five-tool player who's going to be an impact player on both sides of the ball. And I see him as actually hitting a significant amount. I think the Mets got themselves a stud. Yeah, the Mets had a tremendous draft. So if you're a Mets fan, props to you guys coming from an Atlanta Braves fan. It's hard for me to say. But I like a lot of these picks. And uh, Pete Crow Armstrong is a great one. And when you're talking about comps, um, someone came to my mind that, that the Mets actually drafted uh, was Jared Kalinick, who actually didn't really show much power um, when he was before prior to being drafted and a guy that I didn't think could grow into that power. And now, obviously, we've seen him blossom into one of the best prospects in baseball. And so PCA has a lot to like across the board. Right now, he's already averaged at about everywhere. The power, a little below average, but probably – a lot of room to grow, great in the field, good speed, good arm, good hit tool. And like you said, I think the power could grow. So I think there's a lot to like there in Pete Crow Armstrong. Well, if you're getting a Kevin Kiermeyer or a Jared Kalenic, that's that's a home run right there. That's solid top pick for the Mets. Now, the next kid is a younger college kid, draft-eligible sophomore from Mississippi State, uh, JT Ginn. He's another guy, similar to Meyer and, and Eater, who is huge fastball slider, change up that's work in progress. The difference being, this kid's 6'3 with control. This is a potential ace, right, Zach? Absolutely, and I, you're going to hear me say that a lot with the Mets draft, but I love this pick. JT Ginn was a really interesting player. Coming out of high school, he was drafted 30th overall by the Dodgers, and back then, he was kind of relievery. He had that big fastball, and the slider flashed plus, but it wasn't consistent, and I think it was, it was a reliever projection a little bit and he didn't have great command. It was a kind of a high-effort delivery. Your classic power arm coming out of high school. And then he goes to Mississippi State, and he has as productive of a freshman year at Mississippi State as you can in terms of growing your stock. First off, he maintained that velocity, which is huge. But he sharpened up that slider to the point where it's now a consistent plus pitch instead of just flashing plus. He developed his changeup to the point where it went from rudimentary as a high schooler to a legitimate above-average pitch now. So now he's got three above average pitches, and then we can talk about the delivery. The delivery, it was it was jerky as a high schooler. It was high effort, and he smoothed it out significantly. There's still a little bit of work to do in refining it, but he's a mile better than he was at a high school. And that easier delivery now is definitely easing a lot of the relief questions. And the command, too. The command was a little shaky at a high school. Now he's above average in that regard as well. I think the, the progress this kid has made in so many really important areas just screams up arrow to me. And I think he's going to continue to get better once he comes back from Tommy John. I was, I was heartbroken when he had Tommy John surgery because he's one of my favorite pitchers in this draft. But I think he's going to continue to get better when he comes back. I think the Mets are getting themselves an impact arm, potential number two starter once he comes back from TJ. I love this pick. Now, obviously, we like those first two picks. I like the third one too. I can't help myself. Number 69 overall, Isaiah Green is high in speed and the ability to absolutely rake. He's, it seems like the Mets are nailing it with these high-value picks. And Jake, could this guy even be like a bargain bin five-tool player? Yeah, I, I definitely see that in him. I am a big fan. Like I said, maybe I'll get honed in here 
for once, but mm. but uh, yeah, being from Corona High School, I like him a lot. I've seen him a few times. He's he's got that plus speed, very similar frame to PCA, but they're both going to put on some weight. I see him being a little bit better hitter. I'm not sure how you guys feel, but um, then PCA will be definitely not the defender, but he's still got some some good defense. I have a great as a 60. Uh, he's got a very flat swing, even more so than PCA in my opinion. But he's shown a pretty good ability to try to drive the ball to all fields in the gap. I have a comp on him, which I'm really upset. Draft night, Harold Reynolds made the same comp, so it kind of hurts my credibility <laughs> a little bit. But I definitely see it, too. It's Michael Branley. Like, the swings there, even the actions in the field, he's just very relaxed, very composed. He knows what he's doing out there. He has an idea. He knows exactly what he needs to do, what swing he needs to put on the ball. Yeah, I just see the comp a lot. He's very, very relaxed. I'm not going to really win at all. Um, this kid can fly. Uh, he, we love all these picks. <laughs> we love all, we, at least these top three. I love them all. Uh, he can fly. He's faster than PCA. PCA has you know better instincts in the field and is probably the more reliable overall defender. But Green can cover a crazy amount of ground. And the defense is he's working on refining the defense. He's making progress there. I love the swing. You can add a little bit of loft, but it's it's just a smooth, loose stroke from the left hand. It's just a sweet swing. And he makes such consistent contact. I think he's going to grow into a little bit of power. I think it's a, he's a pretty similar player to Pete Crow Armstrong, actually, especially especially as a hitter. I, I like this guy. I, a lot of the things I said about PCA as a hitter, I think you can say about Green. It's just a good all-around player. Yeah, Green has a lot of raw tools. Uh, if there's anyone in the class that I think could be a potential 20 home run, 30 stolen base guy in the future – Green's that guy. Um, the power is not there right now. You're not going to see that. He's pretty contact oriented right now, but there is projection to grow into 15, 20 home runs and the speed he can blaze on the on the base paths in the field. It's it's evident how quick he is. He's a 65 run right now, um, and so a lot to like there. A lot of potential, and so probably similar to Pete Crow Armstrong, but he could have a higher ceiling, which is a lot to like there. And that is wild to hear getting in the second round compensatory able to get a guy with the higher ceiling than Pico Armstrong, who was like beloved. And I don't think that's any shot at PCA. That's just to prove how good of a draft the Mets have had so far. Mm-hmm. Well, I think there was a firm line right there after Isaiah green, because the next three picks, no, at least you, know, you guys might have a different thought. I think it's a pretty significant drop off. The next two guys are batters. You got shortstop Anthony Walters and backstop Matthew Dyer. Walters was actually Isaiah Green's buddy from what Corona High School. You said, yeah, it wasn't his buddy. His actually his brothers. They were teammates. Ah, okay. So is this like a drafting him to help the signability of Isaiah Green? I'm not sure if that's the exact reasoning, but I definitely see the reasoning being a money saving move. I'm not sure if he's signed yet or what they're looking at, but. I don't see how he's getting slot value here. He signed 20000 There you go. 20000 Yeah, That's what the non-drafted free agents are signing for. Exactly, yeah. And I'm actually surprised a lot of players are... There's been a few of that have taken that. I think we'll actually touch on another one with the Nationals. But yeah, it's it's surprising to me. Some players were able to take that, but some teams probably told them, hey, we'll draft you. And if you want to be if you want to be a Met, here's 20K. Or you can go be an undrafted guy. So they probably took it. Well, does Walters have a ceiling? Is it... Utility infield? Is it triple A, double A? Walters is probably a probably a utility guy. I mean, he's a glove first guy. He's he's going to provide value at shortstop. He's going to stick there. He's going to he's going to be good there. The bat's pretty unproven. He gets good extension from a, a line drive swing. Uh, could get him close to average raw power. He hasn't really shown much yet. He's a little bit rigid at the top of his swing. 
But overall, I think it's going to be kind of a, a doubles and triples kind of hitter, but not to the point where he's going to hit enough to start. But it's also it's hard to tell. He he doesn't have the longest track record. He could come out and surprise. But really, you're you're buying the glove here, and he's going. He's probably this is probably utility infielder. It, it, first and foremost, it's a money saver. Sure, twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, absolutely. Considering the slot value for that pick was six hundred forty-seven thousand dollars. Yeah, slate. Quite the drop off. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> for the most part, I agree with um, Zach. I'm not as high as on, on his defense. He's definitely got an ability to stick at shortstop. He's definitely got some rigid moves out there, and his uh, his arm is a little bit erratic. But he he could stick out there. I'm just not too overly high on the ceiling. I just like you said, uh, this is a strict money saver move. I'm, there's not too much upside here. If anything, like Zach touched on, he's going to be a strict utility guy. Mm-hmm. But there's some power here. Not much. He's not going to grow into it. But I have it at a 35. There's, if anything, going to kind of have a little bit of hit, hit tool. I don't have it graded highly either. 35, maybe a 40. So, I mean, there's not a ton, like I said, to like here. So, it's kind of just okay. probably time to move on. <laughs> Already moving on. Well, the next bat I mentioned was Matthew Dyer, the catcher out of Arizona. Uh, he had an interesting, I guess, stat career. It didn't make sense to me as a catcher. Limited power, surprising base running speed. He actually had more stolen bases than home runs. Good OBP, but the stat line actually looks like he's a second baseman. I don't, is he a catcher? What's he doing? Yeah, he's played all over the place. Listed as a catcher, but he played first base, second base, third base, left and right field in his career at Arizona. So he's all over the place. Stat line looks pretty good. He hit 393 in 2019 that included a 20 game hitting streak. Um, He's very athletic. He's got a good arm. His arm was, has been clocked at higher than 90 miles an hour, which pretty impressive from behind the plate. I like I like his plate approach a little. He stands really tall and open, holds the bat low, got a nice toe tap and approach there. Um, again, not sure how projectable we're looking, but he's done some good things. And so maybe there's potential for him to grow and, and become a maybe a serviceable backup in the major leagues. I'm not sure we're looking at a – at a starting catcher or wherever they want to play him, but looks like he can be serviceable. Okay. Yeah, he certainly doesn't have the typical frame you see out of a catcher. He's like a tall, lanky dude, not that kind of stocky guy you typically see behind the plate. I think a lot of a lot of people are projecting him to move off the position to the outfield to second base somewhere, probably the outfield. He's got a he's got a little bit of a wonky swing. It's a little, as he said, he's got a nice setup. Some power projection there. He hasn't really tapped it yet. Um, I don't know how much he's going to end up hitting for, but. Get just given the size and the frame, he could tap a little bit with some mechanical refinement. But yeah, he's an interesting guy that really raked last year. The, the numbers were a bit down this year, so it's it's ultimately kind of a wild card, especially for a college player. Well, the last player that the Mets drafted was a relatively known name in draft circles because uh, Eric Ors uh, was a two-time cancer survivor. So just the fact that he's still playing ball means you know he's going to be the heart and soul guy on your team. But as a pitcher, he actually also has a pretty nasty splitter that causes some serious problems, uh, or at least the videos I was watching. Chris, that splitter, is it real? Or is, wh- what is he? Yeah, it's definitely real. Uh, scouts absolutely rave about that that split finger pitch. You hit a lot on a lot of what I was going to say. I mean, being a <laughs> cancer survivor, I mean, he's going to be the heart and the soul. People love him. He's got a great story, and he's just he just won't quit. You, a person that beats cancer twice is is a hard worker that that just won't quit. They won't give up, and so I see that from from Ors. And obviously, he's never going to give up what he loves and the game of baseball. He's going to work hard. 
he's he's going to be a workhorse for the team. The split finger is is an amazing pitch. He's got a heavy fastball. He started off 2020 very strong in the shortened season, um, a 2.75 ERA, 29 strikeouts in his first 19 innings. So there is a lot to like. Good mechanics, just good stuff. And again, just the story makes it an even better pick. And so beyond baseball, he's got a great story, and it just aids it and makes it all the better. Sure. I mean, we'll be we'll be cheering for him. That's a that's a fan favorite. Absolutely. By the way, he can hit ninety five. It's this is a this is a legit arm as Chris touched on. In addition to that that plus split, splitter that we all can't stop talking about. This kid's up to 95. He probably doesn't stick as a starter. He's probably more of a reliever. He's a little older, too. He's almost 23. Even you take, you put the backstory aside, and this kid is still a legitimate pitching prospect. Well, I want to move off of New York. They had, well, I think we all can agree, a, a pretty stellar draft. Uh, let's move down down the road a little bit to D.C. Uh, the Nationals got some solid talent in the draft, starting with Oklahoma ace Cade Cavalli. Uh, obviously, Cade has some upside. But can you put it together, Chris? It seems like inconsistency, command issues, whatever, a lower back injury. They've always had some sort of potential limit there. Yeah, there's there's definitely high upside here. He's got the upside of a frontline starter. But there are a lot of concerns. Um, bad track record with injuries. Poor command. And so he could go either way. If he puts it all together, he's he's a frontline starter. If, if he can't, then he's probably just somebody that's stuck in in triple a so he's got a good frame at six foot four pretty clean mechanics the premium stuff gets hit hard though because he does have that poor command he doesn't know how to place um, his pitch as well he's an unfinished product right now but we know the nats have a good track record of developing pitching and so there's hope that they can help him there develop he already has that mlb body just looking at him he's got the good fastball that that runs 95 to 97 Really hard slider that that sits anywhere from 87 to 90. And so there's a lot of stuff to like, but there are a lot of concerns. So, again, the pick could go either way, but worth the gamble at 22, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it's a typical Nationals pick. Just strictly, they're always going to draft the college pitcher in the first round of the draft. It's just something they've always done, and they're always going continue to continue to do with their success they've had with them. Yeah, I mean, he's he's nice. He's got a really nice, easy delivery, really clean. Ball jumps out of his hand, 92-96, touches some 98 with some decent R-side run. The curveball slider, I graded as about 55-60 grade pitches, which are both pretty decent, well, above average. So he's flashing about three pitches right now that give you some plus looks and then he's got a change up which is definitely developing but it's serviceable as a fourth pitch so he can kind of have another pitch to throw against those lefties and just control improved in 2020 before the shutdown he only had five walks in 23 innings so definitely a little bit of improvement there i think the key to remember with cavalli is that the nationals are drafting him for what he's going to do in the future not what he's done in the past and in the past as you said that as we've touched on that track record is kind of spotty but the nationals want tomorrow and tomorrow you look at the stuff. It's it's plus stuff kind of across the board. Uh, Ford pitches with a chance to be plus. Um, he was throwing more strikes in 2020. The end zone command, as Chris touched on, is still a little spotty. But I think this kid is trending up. Scouts were really pleased with the progress he made in 2020 and just kind of cleaning up the results um, because he's got everything else. It's a clean delivery, extremely athletic frame. Uh, this is such an on-brand pick for the Nationals, and I'm going to say that a couple of times because they stayed very on-brand throughout the draft. The Nationals are absolutely buying tomorrow in hopes that we can kind of put yesterday behind us. Well, they'd stayed on-brand 
with the thought process of tomorrow by picking Cole Henry next, a 20-year-old out of LSU, super young college player. Uh, he's been a frontline starter since his freshman year there. The Nats are getting a pitcher that has legit stuff now and is only going to continue to develop. Zach, I got to ask you, how high is Henry's upside? I think it's just as high as Cavalli's. I mean, you're talking, again, super on-brand for the Nationals. The Nats love college pitchers with upside. And Henry actually has a lot in common with two pitchers we just talked about, in Cavalli and JT Ginn. He's progressed like Ginn in that he, coming out of high school in Florence, Alabama, he was a well-known prospect who could have gone maybe uh, day two, but he you know, was a little raw. He wanted to go to LSU. So he went down, he was draft eligible as a sophomore, just like Ginn is. And he cleaned himself up during his freshman year. He, he was throwing more strikes. Uh, he was kind of more consistently sitting in the low to mid-90s with that fastball. He's a little bit more consistent with the curve, which has turned into a plus pitch at times with real like impressive power down in the zone. It's a, when he can rattle off some like real 60, 65-grade curveballs, uh, and with the fastball, it's up to 97. That's a great two-pitch mix. Like Ginn, he's, he's refined that changeup. He needs to go a little bit farther. Ginn has turned this into a, an above-average pitch, while Henry's change is still kind of hovering around average. But, I mean, it's a really high upside guy, that fastball curveball uh, mix, the, the progress he's made with his cleaning up his delivery. Um, I think he's, he could be an impact starting pitcher. Uh, he's got a real fast arm. He's really fun to watch. I'm looking forward to seeing him go through the minors. I think the Nationals could do a lot of great things with him. That's going to be a good one-two punch. Yeah, I, I'm curious how much they're going to have to uh, overslot him a little bit, but they kind of saved a little bit in the later in the draft. But he's like, I think Zach touched on, he's a draft-eligible sophomore, so he could return for his junior year and put himself in position to be a first-round arm. So wouldn't it be shocked to see that? Zach touched on a lot of uh, Henry, so I don't have too much else to add on him. But yeah, big fan of the pick on Brand as the Nationals and on to Infante. Well, thank you, Jake. Next up, uh, the Nats did get infielder Samuel Infante. Uh, on Infante, I've seen a few reports. They're, they're ranging from quick, exciting, and jumpy to one that even said lacks the quickness. So all over the map on there. When I watch the video, I'm only seeing like training ground ball sessions. So I don't know where he stands defensively. Does it matter even if his bat plays? Jake, tell me about him. I honestly really like this pick for the Nationals. People probably didn't expect him to sign due to his heavy commit to Miami. He would have been able to be a draft-eligible sophomore. He's kind of old for a high school kid being 19. I really like this pick. He was expected to go later in the draft, but I don't think it's going to be a money-saving move. I definitely think they're going to have to pay this kid to get him away from Miami, but there's been reports he's been out saying that he expects to sign. He's excited. He wants to sign with the Nationals. They got a steal. He's been on uh, he's been quoted saying that they got a steal in the second round and he's going to provide a lot of excitement for them. So from what I've seen, I like to pick a lot. He's got, um, he's got some loud tools. I don't, I'm not too sure he can stick a shortstop. I'm, I think he can actually be a plus defender over at third base. He's got about 55, 60 grade run time. Definitely got the speed in my opinion to last on the infield and even move out the outfield if needed. But I don't, like I said, I think he can definitely be a plus defender at third base. Good bat speed shows a lot of pull power as a really good extension. So like I said, I like to pick a lot and see only real hitter, in my opinion, the nationals drafted. So I like it a lot. I think you're, I think you're absolutely right when you say he's probably going to fit better at third base, but it's a really fun kid to watch hit. The more I sit on this pick and think about it, the more, I, the more I like it. I was kind of iffy on it at first, but the more I sit on it, the more I like it. And I can get behind it. I think the Nationals develop this type of player well as, as someone who's been a Nationals fan my whole life. I've watched them actually, I feel like, do better with hitters than pitchers anyways. But Infante is a guy, he explodes onto the ball. Uh, it's a real explosive swing, but it's still under control. It gets good leverage and he can profile for a little more power. I like this guy. I think he's going to hit. I think he's going to get better. 
as we move forward. He's a fun guy to watch, and maybe he doesn't stick a shortstop, but I think the bat profile is at third base, and if not, I think he could be a solid utility guy. Comp I just ran across was Michael Franco, so that's a nice nice comp, good utility. He can play a couple different positions. Yeah, I mean, that's not a bad comp. I don't know if he has as much pure power as Franco did moving up the uh, the ranks, but I have having rated out to 55 power future, so I guess that's kind of on par with what Franco turned out to be, but the hype definitely wasn't there with the with the uh, power with him, but I can see it. He's certainly trending towards that. Uh, he there are reports he is having a really strong spring. He's been kind of up and down uh, throughout his, his uh, amateur career, but reportedly the spring was very much an up, and that that's good to see. Well, the Nats made a curious selection next. Holden Powell. Uh, I'm not even going to ask the question because I know Jake, you've been clamoring at this pick. Why is this such a curious selection? It's just curious for more of the fact that he's just. I'm not a huge fan of drafting relievers in the third round. I think it's kind of just not a smart move, but considering everything the Nationals have kind of been through the last few years, plus run a five-round draft, it just kind of makes sense. If you like a guy that much, then just go grab him because he's probably not going to last to your next pick, and they probably hurt some stuff or he's probably going to be taken, so they want to lock him in. And I mean, he's definitely got a good arm. He can move quickly through the system. He's, like I said, he's definitely a strict reliever, has been one of the better closers in uh, UCLA history. Fastball's working about 91, 93. His touch, 95 and 96. Uh, the slider's probably his best pitch, in my opinion. It generates a ton of swing and misses. And I think it'll be a pretty decent wipeout pitch at the next level. I have it graded as a 60 right now. And it even flashes even 65. I haven't seen too much out of him after like that, after a fastball-slider combination. But it's good enough to play at the next level. So I think he'll move quickly through the national system, like I said. And it's definitely going to be a boost to their uh, relief system that kind of needs some help right now. But you're just saying don't draft so high. Third round, 94th overall. Maybe you might be able to get him at 123. Or I understand not drafting relievers so high, but you're right. Maybe maybe he doesn't fall to 123. Yeah, I think in a normal draft, if we had 40 rounds, he probably does. But just due to the fact that there's five rounds, after you get about the second mid-second round, people are probably looking at those relievers thinking, all right, some of them could go off the board. If they like him that much, I don't hate it, like I said. So it's a good fit. A pure closer in the third round is odd. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think the question is so much whether he was going to fall to number 123. I don't think he was. Uh, the, more, the bigger question is, I'm totally with Jake. I'm not huge on drafts and relievers uh, this early. It's just because they're so volatile. Um, especially you see it at the major league levels, a guy can be a closer one year and have a five year array the next year. And it's the same for these, these college relievers. The track record of college relievers is pretty spotty. Uh, the last couple of years, we've had these premium kind of college relievers that just flared out in the minors. Um, so even, even the best ones are not a guarantee, but I mean, I'm not surprised by this pick at all. And that's, if anybody's going to make picks like this, it's going to be the nationals. They love their pitching and they love their, their high velocity. And none of this is to take away from Holden Powell as a pitcher. He's a great pitcher. I mean, that fastball's up to 96. Great feel for the slider, as Jake touched on. Uh, command is improved. It's it's playing about average right now, maybe a little above. But just the upside's a little limited. You get you can often get a lot of relievers just by taking random starters and making them relievers, and suddenly they just are throwing 10 miles an hour harder. So I'm not a huge fan of this pick, just because, yeah, nothing against Holden Powell, but the, the Nationals, I think, could have gone for more upside here given that the risk relie- relievers are supposed to be low risk, these college relievers, but th- in recent years, they haven't been low risk. They've been high risk, low reward. So uh, that makes sense. Now, remember earlier, the Nats grabbed the potential star, Cade Cavalli. Well, the next pick, they go and gra- they grab his catcher from Oklahoma, uh, Brady Lindsley. 
is this just an olive branch move for Cavalli to set the relationship off, right? Is is it a signing bonus thing or or do they actually think Lindsley has a future? So he definitely, it's definitely a signing bonus thing. He already signed for $20,000. So he's saving them a ton of money. It might be a relationship thing. Uh, I've never met either of them, even though I'm a state away in Texas. Lindsley, he's kind of, he's a very clear backup catcher, a good defender. Cavalli obviously likes him because if he didn't like him, then the Nationals wouldn't have drafted him here. Um, he's kind of he's got a good hit tool. He has a really good approach to the plate. You know that kind of catcher's mentality of being able to select pitches and recognize pitches. Makes good contact. He doesn't strike out a whole lot. Draws his walks. Not a ton of power. It's kind of a forty power right now, and there's not a ton of power projection either. It, it's it's a pretty clear backup catcher profile. It's it's hard to find good catching, and Lindsley is a solid catcher. I don't I don't think he's ever going to be a starter, but he he could be a backup and. Especially that relationship with Cavalli is going to be big because you want to get everything out of him, you can. And uh, Lindsay's actually not the only battery mate we, we drafted here. We're going to talk about Mitchell Parker next, but they got the Nationals went and drafted Mitchell Parker's catcher as well, who's our, their fifth round pick. They signed him as a NDFA after the draft? Yes. Now, okay, so talking about Mitchell Parker, I had some fun with that. I was looking at some videos of Parker, and he has a wild fastball. He's, he's high in the zone, he's low in the zone, he's left, he's right. He, he had very strong control issues and i went to his baseball reference page just to kind of confirm my bias there and sure enough you know 15 strikeouts per nine that looks great also six walks per nine eh. also 14 wild pitches and only 64 innings there's almost no control there to put that in perspective german marquez uh led major league baseball in wild pitches last year with 14 same number but in 174 innings so 14 and 64 is a little off is he just going to be bouncing the fastball off the netting in Harrisburg, or, or or does he have something to, to rein in there? So those were his 2019 stats, and in 2020, he's ranged in a little bit. He's a little more under control this year. He put up video game numbers again at San Jack. The command, it's it's not quite average yet, but it's closer to average at this point. It's still a little bit below, but he's he's a projection pick. He's like this, he's this big, skinny, uh, 6'4 left-hander. Uh, sits in the low 90s with his fastball. He's got this big loop and 12 to 6 curveball. It's got great depth on it. Not a not much of a changeup, but he's he's working towards it. He's he's still young. He's not he's not turning 21 until September. A little bit of refinement on him could go a long way because he's close. He he looks close to being able to take a big step forward. No, you just get him a little more consistent with his release point. Get him a little bit more refined with that arm path. I think he's going to be, and that arm path actually it works pretty well for him because it throws off hitters' timing. It's kind of a long arm action with a little bit of a pause, kind of throws off hitters' timing. And if you just get him a little more refined, I think you could have yourself like a legitimate impact starting pitcher with him. And then Nats also grabbed his catcher, uh, Raymond Torres. So that definitely can't hurt. They signed. Yeah, and I think just another quick thing to touch on is uh, it's the second straight year the Nationals have drafted someone out of St. Jack or San Jack. They drafted uh, Jackson Rutledge last year, so just something to kind of keep an eye on. Maybe they have connection there or... Uh, off topic, didn't they have the guy throwing 105? Wasn't he from San Jack? Yeah. He That's was. Yeah, Luke Littles from San Jack. Uh, Alaric Sulari, who uh, went to the Twins in the second round, also transferred from San Jack to Tennessee. That, that's a good, arguably the top program in the country in terms of junior college. I didn't have any background on Parker or anything, so you might know, Zach. Did this guy just kind of get noticed because of Luke Little, or was this guy like a legitimate prospect like from the get-go? Now, Mitchell Parker was absolutely a legitimate prospect from the get-go. I mean, okay. San Jack is not just Luke Little. San Jack is an absolute powerhouse program yeah. as, as they produced Jackson Rutledge last year. So 
there are always scouts here, and he put up video game numbers pitching there. He struck out 64 this year, and remember how short the season was. Struck out 64 batters already. Yeah, that was like 30 innings. Crazy. Well, finally, we end our in all East analysis extravaganza in Atlanta, and the Braves picked up a, a bit of a wild card to start off. Uh, Jared Schuster out of Wake Forest. Uh, at first glance, I thought this was a reach, but people seem to be raving about his pitches. I looked at the stats, and it's a six plus ERA and 2.7 strikeouts per walk i'm not in love with it chris what should make me think his pro stats are going to be better than his college numbers oh i don't know man this just tears me up as a braves fan to (laughs) to watch how this unfolded knowing that players like cole wilcox were on the board another great prep arm nick bits go like come on man we take schuster and no offense to you jared schuster if you're out there listening you do have one of the best changeups in the class produced over a 60 percent whiff rate um, throughout his college career, there's been a lot of growth and uh, and breakthrough since during last summer and and through this year. And so last summer during the Cape, he did go four and zero with a one three six ERA. He's got a good fastball; it plays up to ninety seven miles an hour. Got good feel on the slider also, but that pitch does need some work and refining. And in the off season, he did really work on his hip turn when coming through, which did lead to a big uptick in velocity. He gained about three or four miles per hour during the off season. And so there was improvement on the stuff. There's, there's stuff to like, uh, I personally wouldn't have gone that way, but good pick overall. I think there's, there's some projectability, but overall I'm not in love with the pick, but there is some things to like. Yeah. I'll be a little more optimistic for you as a non Braves fan. I'm a pretty decent fan of the pick right before the lockdown. His name was really trending up fast to, I know he wasn't probably projected to be a first-round pick according to at least MLB's mock draft boards and all, but I personally think if the season didn't get canceled, he definitely would have been in that uh, conversation of being a first-round talent, and the Braves saw it as well. But like you said, there's definitely an uptick in the velocity this year, touching 97. He destroyed the Cape, as you mentioned as well. The Ks weren't really there, but the the production was. So I kind of see him as more being not a really big strikeout pitcher, but more of just like a being able to produce a lot of soft contact, commanding his pitches a little bit better than he has shown. And like you said, that changeup is honestly probably one of the better changes in the draft. It, like like I think you just mentioned, his whiff rate was like over, over 60%. It's pretty nuts. I, I would grade it about a 65, even pushing 70 pitch. Use against both uh, righties and lefties. And like you said, or like I said, I'm a big fan of it, but we'll see how it kind of turns out. Also, Bitsko is not on the board. Bitsko is taking a 24, Braves picked a 25. Yeah, you're right. I'm... In my, that's just a frustration that I felt <laughs> thinking that he was still there. You could have been like all those fans that uh, watched the MLB draft for the very first time, thinking it was like the NFL draft, screaming, trade up, trade up, just straight up. <laughs> Isn't it amazing the amount of people that believe that? <laughs> well, I, I hate to break it to you, Chris. The very next pick was a head scratcher for me as well. Uh, Jesse Franklin out of Michigan. He's like a first base center fielder type. His numbers don't wow me, I guess, especially if he plays first. I would just be disappointed with these numbers. But I guess there's a chance he plays center. His scouted fielding is like a 50, and he's got he's got speed. Do you know where he's going to land? Is he going to be a first base? Because that requires a bat. Center field, maybe not. I think he's going to stick in center field, honestly, which seems a little crazy. Honestly, neither position fits that well. But yeah. he, he didn't play this year. He broke a, his collarbone in a skiing accident, so we didn't get to see any of them. Um, at Michigan this year, he actually moves decently well for his frame. He's 6'1", 215. He moves around pretty well. 
he had a great freshman year where he hit 327, hit 10 home runs and just 165 at bats. Then he regressed pretty heavily a sophomore year. He's got a really aggressive swing at the plate. He doesn't see breaking balls well, uh, but he's again, like we said, he, he does move well. He's an above average runner, but that doesn't really translate to steals on the base, base path. I think the floor is pretty low here, but there's some decent upside to play with. Not a whole lot, but it's an, another interesting pick. <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure where the Braves were going with this draft. I'm not a big fan personally, but again, as a fan, Sometimes you have to take my bias out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, Franklin has been a little bit of a tougher player to get a read on just because he was kind of a different player from his freshman to his sophomore year. And then between the two Cape Summers as well, he's he's seems like overall just a solid player. He, he's got good bat-to-ball skills. He's got some power. Good defender, not a great defender. Good runner, not a great runner. He's kind of a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none kind of guy. But the track record is, is there. Even if it's all over the place, it is there at Michigan. I think scouts were hoping to see what he would do here in 2020, just to, would he, would he be his freshman self? Would he be a sophomore self? What was, is he going to be a power hitter? Is he going to be a contact hitter? And of course, we didn't get to see any of that. So we're going to have to wait to pro ball to see kind of what direction he develops in. But it's, it's kind of a tough to get a read on this one. He, he could develop in any number of directions. He probably fits as a fourth outfielder at the big league level. Some power, some on-base ability, some speed, kind of some everything. And maybe if he takes a step forward in any of those areas, I mean, he could be a legitimate impact player for the for the Braves. But for now, it's I think it's, we're in wait and see mode. Well, those two, you know, relative head scratchers, wait and sees, are followed up by a guy that I really like. I don't know if everyone else does. Uh, Spencer Strider out of Clemson. Let's see, he was a 12 strikeout per nine pitcher, and that's the fourth best in Clemson history. You're getting an, an automatic strikeout machine coming into the Braves organization. They have done so good at developing pitchers. This might be something special. Yeah, like it's like I mentioned, he had a 12.4 K rate as a or K per nine his in a 2018 as a reliever, and that was I think you said fourth best in Clemson history. And just yeah. to uh, put that in, into this year, 2020, he was before we got locked down, he was at 14.3 Ks per nine, so on pace to possibly break his standing on, on the list there. But yeah, I'm kind of seeing a more reliever profile out of him, even though they kind of gave him a chance to start right now in 2020. But the command definitely improved a lot when he took that uh, starter role. I'm just not too sure it'll stick long term with his pitches. But the K rate came down all the way to 2.3 uh, walks per nine. And the K's jumped, like I said, to 14.3. So all, all around the stuff looked a lot better. The curveball was a lot more crisp than it had been in 2018. The changeups looking a lot more improved as well gave teams uh probably enough to think that he's got enough to stick as a starter right now or at least draft them as a starter but like i said i don't really see it kind of profiling as that long term but i definitely see him kind of being a decent reliever with some strikeout ability and if he keeps that command he's he could be a nice little pitcher yeah i think if you want him to stick as a starter you're going to want to you want him to smooth out that delivery a little bit it's a little bit of a high effort delivery especially for a for a smaller guy let's say a six foot but I think you're right. He has the stuff to profile as a starter. It's just a question of developing kind of everything else. Well, I personally, I'll be watching him. I know that Clemson-Atlanta drive is pretty close. So he's probably got a lot of new Braves fans that are living in Clemson if they weren't already there. But that last pick in the NL East, the Braves kept their tradition here in this draft. All four guys are Power 5 conferences. Bryce Elder out of Texas. He's not going to be lighting up any radar guns. But it looks like he's got some good feel for pitching, manipulating the ball well good pitch sequencing. What do you think of Elder, Zach? Oh, I love this pick. Bryce Elder is your classic, just kind of old school Texas workhorse. You know, 6'2", built like a workhorse, durable frame. He usually sits around 90, maybe a tick above with his fastball. 
but he, he was touching a little bit higher this year. He was up to 95, which is a lot better than 91, obviously. Uh, he gets he gets good sync on the ball, uh, a little bit of run. It's a tough pitch to lift, really, really tough pitch to lift. And he adds a really sharp slider. That's a swing and miss pitch. It's a 60 at its best. And uh, between those two, which he tunnels really well off each other, everything is just down, down, down. And it's really hard to elevate off of him. He's also got a solid curveball and changeup. They're a little bit behind the uh, sinker and slider, but they're solid pitches, 45-50 on their own. Uh, could One or both of them could get up to a 55 in the future. The command is solid. It's not really the plus command you typically see out of these guys. It's more solid, but he attacks really aggressively. He mixes his pitches really well, and it just makes everything play up. Not talking huge ceiling here, but it's probably a number four, number five kind of projection. But I really think kind of with the progress he's making, you could see as as high as a number three here. This is my favorite pick that the Braves made. A very old school guy. And it's a a guy who's going to go out and he wants to get you out. and And he knows what it takes to get you out. And those first two pitches, the the low ninety sinker and the the power slider, they're good pitches. They're they're swinging miss pitches. Oh, it sounds like he can be a really good you know inning eater as well for that fourth and fifth uh, role. Absolutely. Yeah, this was probably my favorite pick of the draft as well for the Braves. Good stuff. You've hit on basically everything, but he served as the ace for the Texas staff the last two years. And again, a power five team faced good competition, performed well. I really love the slider that he has to offer four average to above average pitches, probably back into the rotation. But again, serviceable as a starter. I like what they did there. And I do like the value that they got at that pick. So I will say that as as a Braves fan, that's probably my favorite pick of the draft for the Braves. Well, I'm glad the fifth round pick 156 (laughs) was your number one. Uh, Well, guys, that's the NL East. And like I asked you last time, I want to do it real quick. Who in this division are you most excited for? Let's start with the man who cuts the big checks around here, Jake. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll go back to one of the Nationals picks, Samuel Infante. I'm a big fan of him. I think he's going to be a pretty big player. He was not projected to get drafted and sign. Had a hard commit to Miami. Probably was coming out as a draft-eligible sophomore, but I really like the bat. I really like the glove, like we touched on. Should be a plus defender over third base, and the bat's going to play. He's got really, really nice bat speed. So if I had to pick one, it'd be Sammy. Uh, what about you, Zach? So I know we said no first rounders, and JT Ginn technically wasn't a first rounder. He's gonna, but he's gonna sign for first round money. I think this guy, T- Tommy John, is not as scary as it used to be. He's gonna bounce back with, I mean, three above average to plus pitches, command, a durable frame, and all the, the positive trajectory in the world injury aside, in terms of just cleaning every everything up. I think this is a really exciting pick once he bounces back healthy. Nice, Chris. What about you? I'm going to go with another Mets guy, Isaiah Green. I just love the upside potential there. So many raw tools and that speed, man, just all everywhere across the board. I think he's got a great chance to be a – he has star potential. Really like the pick, maybe a lower floor, but if he puts it all together, it could be a star in the making. So I really like that pick there. Well, I'm disappointed in both of you because my top two were – uh, JT Ginn and Isaiah Green. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna play throw a curveball at you. I'm gonna throw Jake Eater out there because I want Vanderbilt to be right. I want him to be the new Ace Lacy. <laughs> He's gonna be the guy. That comp was gonna be perfect by the end of this. Fair enough. Oh my goodness. I, I hate to stop talking. It's been a blast listening to y'all. We've got some excitement here with these prospects. That's a fact. Next up is AL Central, which means these guys can continue their love affair with Jared Kelly they had in the last episode. Can't wait. But <laughs> you, you got to love them. Before we sign off, I need you to tell the world where to find you 
and if there's anything you want to plug. All right. You can find me on Twitter at jtillinghast, J-T-I-L-L-I-N-G-H-A-S-T 27. Um, just come check out our site. Give our writers a follow on Twitter. We've got some good stuff coming out and on the way. Like you mentioned, AL Central out next, so give it a listen. I'm Zach Silverman. You can also find me on Twitter at uh, ZachMatt4, Z-A-C-K-M-A-T-T-4. Zach being spelled the way it's supposed to be spelled. I, I, in addition to writing for Prospects Worldwide, I write my own blog at dugoutedgebaseball.blogspot.com. And yeah. And I'm Chris Clegg. You can find me on Twitter at RotoClegg, C-L-E-G-G. I'm excited about my uh, Red Sox draft breakdown should be coming out here soon. So I'm excited about that. And you can also find me writing about fantasy baseball. I'm at rotofanatic.com. And I'm John Giles. You can find me on Twitter at Puma Revive. That's P-U-M-A-R-E-V-I-V-E-D. Again, I refuse to create any special baseball Twitter when I spent years cultivating my boring Twitter persona. Uh, you get what you get with Puma Revived. Find my word things over at prospectsworldwide.com. And make sure you keep listening to our continued draft recap series. We are officially on iTunes now after a hiatus. So give us a good rating and a review. It helps, I promise you. We'll see you soon. And thanks for listening to Prospects Worldwide.